Amanda Brooks likely needs no introduction. She runs the very popular online blog, Run to the Finish, and has been coaching athletes for years. She came on to the podcast to discuss running as we age and how you might need to adjust your training as you get older. If you plan to be doing this sport for anything longer than a couple years, this is information that's going to help you. I promise. I really hope you enjoy it, and let's get to it. Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. This week on the podcast, we have Amanda Brooks. She has been in the running scene community forever. And she is the very popular blog, Run to the Finish, and then Run to the Finish. Pretty much everywhere else you search, you will find her. And Amanda, really happy to have you. Thanks. Excited to talk running any chance I get. Yeah, same. So I know, like, how did you get into running? Like, what got you going? So I started running in college. I think like a lot of people before that, I did sports, but running was always just punishment. So I really disliked it. Yes. Um, In college, uh, I always think this is very funny. At one point I was dating someone who ran and I remember faking knee pain, like actually faking it to not run. Um, And then suddenly my junior year, a group of friends were getting ready to do a road trip. They were going to do a rock and roll half marathon. And I just really wanted to be part of it. So I probably trained for four months because that's the thing you can do when you're like 19. Um, So yeah, that was the start of it. That was back in 2002. You've definitely like found the love of this earlier than me. And you mentioned running as punishment that like actually really sit home with me. I made a thing about this really recently about how I did all the sports growing up and like running was the thing you actually tried to avoid doing as much as you humanly can, unless you were actively in the sport. Like, yeah. And it's, it's nice to hear that like experience is other than the fact that I'm sorry, you also had to suffer through that. It's really strange because as a kid, like you run around just because it's fun. And then like, it keeps kind of progressing where people tell you to stop because they want you to control your energy. And then you get into sports and for whatever reason, they never talk about running as like, this is going to make you better, or it's just literally you're late to practice, or you did something wrong, or they'll kind of call it a warm up by the time you get to high school, but there's no explanation of it. And so I think it just feels like you hate me. So you're making me do this. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that's so true. And it doesn't, I think it doesn't help the fact that they just never actually teach you how to run. So it's just insufferable. Like, until we get into our adult years or like try to actually learn to run properly or unless we end up on the cross country team when we're younger, like you just still have that seven year old attitude of like, go run the mile and like burn out in 800 yes. feet. And then <laughs> the rest of it, you're just screwed. Like, yeah. Yes. No one talks about pacing. No one yeah. talks about pacing. Or like building a base or anything that would actually help you be better at it. They just beat you into the ground until you puke in a trash can. <laughs> 
I we're here today, as, as you know, but other people like we're here to talk a lot about like aging runners because I just don't discuss this topic a lot. And I was introduced to Amanda through Elizabeth Scott and she Amanda suggested that we talk about either this or low heart rate. And I go on about low heart rate all the time. So I figured aging running is like a really good thing for us to cover because I don't talk about it enough. I feel like that term's kind of nebulous. Like as someone who started running a couple of years ago in my early 30s, I don't recover like I'm 22 anymore, but I also like I'm not a master's runner and I wouldn't call myself like an aging runner. It's like, where would we like, where do we find this line? And like, how individual is that? It's a great question because it is like your 20s are different than your 30s or different than your 40s. So it's like each decade, something feels a little different. And technically a master's runner starts at age 40, which seems weird to most of us now because so many people are running so much longer. Before it was like, oh, you're geriatric at 40 and running. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's also different men and women. So for women, the big thing tends to be hormonal changes. So when we start dealing with perimenopause and menopause, which can be as early as 40 for some women, average is kind of like we're going to start dealing with it around maybe 45 and then sometime around 50 kind of be in menopause. And so there's a lot of things that shift there. Men also have issues because testosterone starts dropping off. Um, That changes how things feel. That changes muscle and all kinds of stuff. Um, But they don't always see as radical of a shift right away um, as it will for a lot of women. So I tend to think like even though masters as classified by races is 40 most of us you know, are sh- making some shifts at 40, but seeing even more shifts by the time we're in our 50s and onward. Awesome. I love that. There's a lot I want to follow there. So for one, like if we're seeing masters at 40 and yet you have like Kipchoge setting a world record at 37, um, Camille Heron just set like 12 world records at the age of 40. Like, do we is this a thing that we're seeing a like longer progression to where people are just getting better later or is, yeah, is this a carryover from like earlier training and everything development? Yeah. So a lot of what we're seeing, especially in endurance sports and even particularly for women is that we are better when we're late thirties, even kind of in that early forties range. And a lot of the data is kind of saying it's probably that progression of buildup. It's years and years in the legs. It's the different mental stamina. I certainly think about things differently at 41 than I did at 20, like, you know, and so you have a different like way to just be like, I've been through some hard stuff. I think I can run the next mile of this race. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, that's definitely true for a lot of the, I know we'll call it, we'll call it aging runners. There's a lot of the aging runners I know. They're like, I have raised four kids. I'm good. Like I can run mile 14. Yeah. Yes. So is it ever too late to start running? I'd love to address that. I don't think so. I mean, everyone is going to feel a little different and we're all going to be starting from a different point, depending on maybe you've been really sedentary because you were in a job and you were working a ton and then you were raising a family and 
exercise just wasn't the thing you had time for. I certainly hear that a lot. Um, I feel like we actually coach a lot of one-to-one runners now that are retired and like, you know what, I've always wanted to run and now I've got like nothing but time. (laughs) A disproportionate amount of my roster is either like, and this is not to say they're not busy, but moms like homeschooling kids or men who are retired. It's like of my small clientele, it is way higher than what the general populace would justify. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to dive into is like, the hormonal shift thing. And I think there really is something important there and something we should, you know, discuss as much as you're willing to. So if we look at the hormonal shifts, let's start with women um, because there is like such a, there is a line at some point, like what does that indicate and what might the results or like outcomes be for like trying to deal with training during or after menopause? Yeah. So particularly during perimenopause. So perimenopause is the point where for a lot of women, estrogen is really falling off. Um, So unfortunately, like in your training, that can mean like a lack of energy. It often it's mood swings. And so you don't, you're like, I don't want to go train. I don't feel like it. I am so tired. Like your body doesn't quite feel the same as it has always felt. And so it's a really like frustrating time for a lot of people because it wasn't that talked about. So it's being talked about more, which I appreciate um, because I think it's happening to half the population. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it needs to be okay to talk about it. And I heard you on uh, Run Chats NYC and you were open about this. You actually got to kind of experience some of this at the age of 29. Is that right? Yeah. So I think probably one of the reasons that I have so many folks who have come to me as master's runners is because I learned a lot, unfortunately, on my own at like 29. So I stopped producing estrogen. We could never really pinpoint a reason why, but it meant Um, I had to like suddenly figure out all of these things about why low heart rate made sense in terms of like learning how to run easy. Um, There's so much I wish I had known back then, Um, but you know, I learned some things and then have just kept kind of learning along the way. And it's been great to coach more athletes, um, you know, over 40, over 50, over 60 and see, you know, what is different and kind of learning from each person so that we can keep making things better. Yeah. And I, Sorry, you have that, you know, personal connection, but I think it does at least like make us better coaches for like the amount of the fact that I'm like riddled with injuries helps a lot in some ways. So um, what have you learned either from your personal experience as a runner or a coach that you have had to tweak um, as a result of some hormonal shifts? So I think the biggest thing is, um, I know you talk about low heart rate. So low heart rate training to me, it's largely about actually getting people to understand how to run easy. I think like I get that question a lot, but I don't understand what is easy. Um, And so for some people, heart rate can be super frustrating. Totally get that. Um, And that's where I'm like, go back to the talk test. Can you speak a couple sentences? If not, you got to slow down more. Um, I've had to convince a lot of our runners to actually spend a while doing power walking and then run walk and then running. And they're sort of like 
their mind is blown at how much better everything feels like when we just go back and build a little bit of a base. So when you're going through that process of that, you know, it can feel almost torturous build of this like slow pace. How quickly do you tend to see progress and results of these like slow pace runs? It kind of depends on where they're coming from. And usually that means have they been in sort of a place of overtraining for a really long time? Um, So they've been spending years in like that gray zone and now their body is just totally angry. Sometimes like it might be like six months of a really slow build. Other folks will go through like maybe a six week power walk and then we're right into run walk. And then like, you know, their intervals keep increasing and they're like, okay, things just feel more natural. Like I took an actual process through this instead of just being like, I should just run straight through no matter what. Yeah. And I like that you delineate that because I think we often hear like eight to 12 weeks a lot. And for me, it was a lot longer. Uh, I I don't know. I didn't have any slow running background. I had to beat myself into the ground background. And so my aerobic base just didn't exist. And it took me months to build up anything that resembled a consistent run at a slow pace. And it's still not great, but (laughs) it exists now. Like I can run extendedly for long periods of time. Um, It's something like below 150-ish. Whereas like before it was impossible to get more than a few minutes. So, well, and I mean, like I said, when I started it, I was in a very bad place health wise. So I literally did nothing but low heart rate for a couple of years. I did no speed work. I set PRs using it, which was crazy. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, so it is very like, you've got to pay attention to your body and, and see how things are going. So I think that was kind of piece one. The second piece is then obviously actual rest, Um, so you probably also did this too. I was like, rest days, what are those? (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't real for like 15 years of my life. (laughs) Uh So what's interesting too, is as we get into kind of the peri and the menopause, some training plans need to shift too. So where before we would do three weeks hard, one week easy. Now we may actually be able to do two weeks that have a little more intensity and then do a cutback week. Um, and so that sort of keeps us from getting to a place of feeling rundown because the biggest thing is as that estrogen is dropping, the hormone that wants to increase is cortisol. So your stress hormone. And that was the big issue I had. My cortisol was sky high because I didn't know how to run easy. I didn't know how to rest, even though all of these other hormones were dropping off. And so that's a lot of what women kind of are experiencing there. And it's a mental shift of like, well, no, my plan has always said I do these three weeks and then I have a cutback. So kind of paying attention and it's more time between hard sessions a lot of times. So that could mean maybe you go to a 10 day training cycle, which is awesome for our retired folks. They can make that happen a lot easier. And it just puts more space between a really hard day and then making easy days easy. I think the other thing that often gets lost is that even though we're getting older, we can still have really hard workouts. Like it's still really good for us to spend a few minutes doing plyometrics um, and some of that high intensity stuff. Now it's graduated based on like, if you're not doing a lot of jumping, please don't like day one, go do 15 tuck jumps and like hurt everything in your body. But 
if you do that progression, the plyo really makes a difference because obviously as we're getting older, those fast twitch muscles are dwindling where our endurance fibers, like we've kind of built those up, they're there. So still making sure we like don't shy away from doing some of the hard stuff is really important. Cool. And so I want to like take that into two roads. And since you addressed it most recently, I love that you mentioned plyos. Um, we lose power so much faster than we lose strength and we still lose strength at such a like high level at age, but we talk about that. Whereas we lose power, like it just drops off a cliff. And I know for me, some of the stuff I've done for my aging clients in the gym who cannot do something like a plyo will do, will put on a, um, like a squat machine or a leg press or something like that. And will kick off, um, so that they leave the base and with some weight, but you're still able to graduate that. What do you also see that like might work really well for people who either don't want to go to a gym or don't have good access to, um, equipment and want to still do plyometrics, but need to scale them. So I have a couple exercises on the website and some of it is taking like a jumping move and just not having your feet leave the ground. So for that squat jump, you still bend all the way down and then you just push into your feet really hard and come up. So your feet aren't leaving. So you're not getting that impact of coming down, but you're practicing that like forceful motion going up. Um, and there will come a point you'll have done that a bunch that then your feet will leave the ground an inch or so like, um, and so some of it, I think is that it's allowing yourself to just sort of do the movement without leaving the ground and then slowly leave the ground or doing, you know, if you've got good stability, you can do a reverse lunge to a knee up and then eventually you'll hop with that knee up. But it's some of it is just getting the initial movement pattern started, I think is kind of a nice way to start. Absolutely. I also love a box jump because it doesn't take the impact, right? But we say box and I think a lot of us immediately think these like 12, 16, 40 yes, inch boxes, whereas they're, yeah. Whereas like a half inch is something like, if that's your jump, that's great. Like jump up on that thing. Like in yep. the gym, we'll often like scale from three, every three inches is really easily accessible. So jump roping is a great option awesome. too. Like even like, it doesn't have to be a real jump rope. It's just getting yourself to kind of that pogo motion off yeah. the ground with your feet and your ankles. Um, and so that's a motion that a lot of people know. So you could start with just doing 10 to 20 and do it a few times. So it, it doesn't feel so overwhelming. Cause I think plyometrics sound scary. Yeah. Like they're, they sound intense, but once you've done them a couple of times and you're like, okay, I only have to do that for like 20 seconds or 30 seconds. I can do that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if we're looking at like power generation through a box, like five reps is a lot <laughs> really. So yeah, that's awesome. Cool. And the other thing for like hard training would be speed work. You said you took a couple of years off of it, but I would expect that that is a very like not necessarily necessary, not needed for everybody. Right. So yeah. how do we need to adjust speed work with age? Sure. So yeah, I was having great results with low heart rate because I was probably for the first time actually training easy enough. Um, yeah. so I didn't have to do a lot of speed work. Um, What's interesting is, you know, kind of the one thing I said around putting more space between hard stuff 
But then I think it's also just making sure that in terms of our speed work, we have a really good variety. So, so many of us want to do endurance events. So then all of our speed work is like marathon goal pace. Um, but we still need like, do some reps at mile pace, do some reps at 5k pace, do some. So we still need all of that variety. And especially as we're dealing with women in menopause and stuff, that really short, hard, fast stuff is actually extra beneficial. So one of the things that happens as hormones drop off is we're actually not able to utilize carbohydrates as well. And so that short, fast stuff actually teaches our body to take those carbs in, turn them into fuel, put them in our muscles. Um, and again, like we talked about kind of the fast twitch muscle fibers being lost. So it's for a lot of us, I just think it's honestly a mental shift to be like, okay, I'm actually going to do like some really short, but really hard intervals. Um, cause it's a very different thing than training for the way most of us have trained in the past for marathons, I think. Yeah, I bet that's true based on the pro programs I've written for people trying to like crush marathon goals. Yeah. Um, one thing that I've been having some decent luck with is like hill work. How much do you use that as far as like aging populations? Um, I love it for everyone. In fact, the start of almost every single training plan, everyone has to do hill sprints. Um, there's one, there's just too many like good data points around the fact that it will make you faster. Um, yeah. and then, yeah, it's an easy way to do speed work where I'm less concerned about injury because you have to be in that little better form going uphill. You're probably not going to overstride unless you're doing something real funky. So like, it's a great way to get in that speed without having as much fear around getting hurt. I'm trying to imagine overstriding on a hill and I feel like right? you basically <laughs> like you have to like force a hamstring curl to make that work. Yeah be tough <laughs> yeah um if you're looking at hill sprints does it matter like how how steep like what do you recommend for people so we do know like i mean at least eight to ten percent when we're doing like that 20 second like go hard um certainly if you want to go a little bit more than that too like if you found something outside that's a little more go for it um Sometimes we're doing more hill repeats that are like a minute long, and then it might be something more gradual, five or 6%. Um, but yeah, those actual hill sprints, want to try and find at least like eight. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty decent up. Yeah, it's kind of what, like, I've noticed for myself, at least that's where the, it forces you to shift forward and like find that drive with your glutes. And that's kind of where the power seems to actually like start to really create. Yep. Cool. If we're looking at other stuff like recovery time, that's probably what I've noticed biggest for myself, even from early 20s to early 30s. I just don't recover quite as fast. Not a, you know, not aggressively, but I volunteered in an overnight race a week, a couple weeks ago. And like the following day, I was just trashed. Whereas a cut like 10 years ago, I'd be like, let's go do the thing. So what do we see as far as recovery when it comes to aging runners? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the recovery things that we know have always worked become even more important. So getting our sleep, um, which unfortunately 
is harder <laughs> as our hormones are yeah. shifting. Um, yep. So it's, yeah, it's learning some of the tips and tricks around that that can help to get better sleep. Um, so, I mean, little things like tart cherry juice a half hour before bed, it actually helps. I've been doing that a bunch lately and I was like, gosh, this is really working. <laughs> um, so it's things like that. It is really making that sleep a priority. Um, part of recovery is actually doing easy runs easy enough. Um, and then the fueling. So I think this is where we do see a lot of issues. Um, so particularly as we get older and for women, that 30 minute post-workout refuel becomes more important. Um, we just need to stop the muscle breakdown. Yeah. Um, so really taking that and then eating before the workout. I feel like this is often a fight with my older runners <laughs> um, because oh, they, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they're like, I have my coffee and I'm good to go. And I understand that. But when we are working really hard to keep your cortisol from going up and telling your body that it's super stressed out, you take off for a workout with no fuel. And the result is that your body thinks it's even more stressful than it is. And so now our chance of recovery, like we have to work extra hard to get your body to calm down. So fueling before <laughs> and then fueling after. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it doesn't. It just takes a little planning, right? Like I messed this up today. I'll be honest. I'm honest with all my people. Like I'm terrible at most of this stuff uh, just because I'm none of my days look like the day before them. So like I had something about two hours prior, but I forgot the banana that I eat before every workout. And as a result, like my heart rate was like skyrocketed because it's just like I'm already stressed today. <laughs> so lack of fuel before my cortisol was through the roof. So we need to just put the thing in the bag if that's what it comes down to. Yeah, it definitely is planning. And for most people, like once they kind of start getting themselves to eat before they're like, gosh, my runs feel better. Yeah. And so then it's a lot easier to keep doing it. Like it becomes a habit. So I also say like, remember that you can train your stomach like you're training your legs. So don't feel like day one, I need to eat a bowl of oatmeal when you've been eating nothing like have you know, a piece of toast or have half a banana, like just starting there and then like keep progressing that till you're getting in, you know, a couple hundred calories before you go anytime you're running longer than 30 minutes or especially when you're doing a hard workout. Yeah, absolutely. And like try and cut the middle ground. If you're going to go run for 45 minutes or whatever, and it's like really low heart rate, you're going to be chill and you woke up at five and you're out the door by five Oh five, then we can be a little calm. But if you're going to go do a speed workout, that's going to crush you for 75 minutes, like eat food man. like, yeah. Um, one thing that I guess advantages to running when you're older, what do you see as like, where we've been talking about a lot of these downfalls or negatives or things that we might need to reconsider as we get older what are actually some of the perks to running as you're older so one is often that i find they have more time so now they're willing to put in the time to strength train to do the warm-up to do some running drills to like actually enjoy the entire process so i think a lot of times when we're busy it's like a, oh man i've, I've got to do this thing i gotta do this i gotta I got to get that thing done. Um, so suddenly when they've got more time, they're like, oh, I can just really enjoy this. And 
oftentimes they still have goals to get faster or to run a new distance, but they just want to enjoy it. It's like, they remember like, I'm out here cause I want to do this. Um, and I love that cause that's the thing I'm always sort of preaching is like, you don't have to run, so you should enjoy it when you're doing it. Um, and I feel like they're just a lot better at that. I really appreciate that. One thing that you mentioned in there that I actually would love to talk about is running drills. Like I've done so many of them throughout my sports career and honestly don't have a great idea of what any of like the A skips versus the B skips versus the whatever, like I have all my certs and everything, but I have trained a few people. You have been in this game for near 20 years. Like what have you found to be really helpful as far as running drills to like adjust certain form and like find engagement for different people? Yeah. So I think, honestly, I wish running drills was something anyone had spoken to me about 20 years ago. (laughs) Um, I would have started doing them sooner. So the big thing I think often is sort of shifting us from thinking that like the drill itself is going to immediately change something (laughs) and more that the drill is changing a pattern in our Mm. brain. So we're just by that repetition telling our brain like, hey, my foot lands under my body, my knee drives in front of me, so that when you're actually running, you don't have to think about those things. Because often I will hear people try to change their form, and they are thinking about so many things while they're running. Their heart rate's higher, they're not having any fun, and their form just gets way out of whack because they're overthinking. It's like when you think about your breathing, and all of a sudden you're like, oh gosh, is breathing hard to anybody else? (laughs) Yeah, that's like the, oh, my tongue doesn't fit in my mouth situation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So do you just kind of have people start with a few and move through them and then switch them up as you go? Or like, what's kind of your system for that? Yeah, so usually my biggest thing is I'm trying to make sure we're not over striding and that we're working a little bit on cadence. And so just telling someone not to over stride is in no way useful because we're like, I don't even know if I am overstriding. Um, so honestly, like learning to march in place sounds so ridiculous, but just having them do that and like, do you notice that your knee is coming up in front of you, not that you're doing a butt kick? Because um, if you tell someone to run in place, usually they'll kick their feet behind them. Like we don't think about, oh, my knee should be driving forward. I want all of my momentum going forward. Um, so I really start with like super basic stuff to like, just reinforce patterns and then little things like standing still and just kind of leaning from your ankles. So figuring out what that even feels like to lean. Um, and then, yeah, progressing over time into, you know, the a skip or fast feet, um, you know, things like that. Um, I don't have a whole lot of people do, B skips or C skips, like they're fun. Yeah. But I, you know. I found them really useful because I played sprinting sports, but I don't have anybody do them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if we're looking at when to do them, like would that be a good spot for warm up? Or because I know you're big on warm ups and I'm <laughs> I am big on <laughs> that's another thing that I've had to switch to is like 
I need to warm up now, which I used to be an asshole. So I didn't do that. So like, what do we, what do we have for warmups? And is that when you have people do drills? Yeah. So I do love making it part of the warm up. Um, especially like if you're doing a speed workout, I think that's an ideal day because then you're just already getting that movement pattern going. If you're doing some a skips or other skips, you're getting a little bit of power going kind of a little bit of that additional adrenaline in your warm up before you get out there and start pushing hard. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense to me. And then if we're looking at like other things that we might need to look into, it would be like prehab stuff. Um, you talk about this a lot in your book. Great book, by the way, pounded through it the past few days. And like, what have you done for prehab that seems to be really effective? So I actually created um, a program called the 30 day core challenge, which is 10 minutes a day. Um, so you can do it before runs. And this was absolutely built on years of Every injury I would hear about almost the PT, whether it was me or my runners um, was like, yeah, you have weak glutes and weak hips, weak core. And I was like, good God, all of us. Mm -hmm. So um, it's really just focusing on those things. And a lot of them are very much movements that physical therapists would give us. Um, So a lot of them that are my friends I've chatted with. um, and yeah, five minutes or 10 minutes, whatever, it adds up. And if you just do that little bit before each workout, you don't have to think about it later in the day. It's not an additional to do. It's just now something that's in your warm up. And then you've engaged your core, engaged your hips, and engaged your glutes before you even start running. So those muscles are actually ready to do the work for you. If we see a bunch of that, like that's kind of that last part is really what sticks for me, I guess. Like, I think we need to personalize warmups and find what's not firing for you. And like, again, I played a lot of lateral sp- sprinting sports. My glute need works great. My <laughs> glute max works not as great. So whatever the deficiency is that is specific to your body, getting some movements that help you build that up before you get going seem to be the way to go. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a ton. I think that's where we kind of throw ourselves off, you know? Yeah. We're like, oh my gosh, I don't have time to do prehab because it sounds like I need to do 8 million things, but no, it might be like there's three or four moves you throw into your warm up, and cool. Your body's so much happier. Yeah. Mine's two moves and like, and I don't recommend this one to most people because like I have a very weird background for a runner, but like I do a static stretch for my piriformis, which is this is why I don't recommend it to most people because don't static stretch before you run. But like for me, my right one's really tight. So like it actually does, it actually pulls me out of alignment. So I start with that and then like glute bridges. That's it. It takes me two minutes. Yeah. Um, if we're looking for other things, I think like aging runners are often a little better at calling it when they need to, like being aware of that. Do you find that to be accurate as well? Like, and how do we know when that threshold might be there? Yeah, I think they're better at listening to their bodies because they've realized if I push it too far, it's not like in 24 hours, I'll feel better. It's like in four days, I'll feel better. Um, So I do think they are just much smarter about it. Um, And really as a coach, that's just an ongoing conversation of, 
okay, well, let's talk about how did this feel? One of the things I really like using is if something doesn't feel good, um, so maybe like my quad started hurting, it's rating it on a scale of one to 10. So starting to put that actual number to it gives us something more tangible. And also, cause anytime as a runner, something starts to hurt and we freak out emotionally. And so then we just think about it on every single run. But once we start putting a number to it, a lot of times I'll notice people will be like, well, it was a three yesterday. Maybe it was a two today you know what, I think I'm just thinking about it and it actually doesn't hurt at all. And then other times it's like, no, now it's a four, it's a five and okay, we need to stop and I really need you to go see a PT. But that number just gives us something like tangible to work off of. Really like that. Like I've been dealing with some plantar fasciitis stuff the past few weeks, two months maybe now. And the number has helped. Like every morning, wake up, it kind of sucks, but it has never gotten above a three right? It's like, it has been static there, like slightly better. And if I didn't have that, I'd be like, my foot is on fire. Like, why is my foot on fire? But like, I get up, I move it around a little bit. It gets better and it's never moved above a three. It's fine. Like it's it's okay. Um, And I, again, I'll caveat that I've been injured a lot. Maybe if you don't know exactly what's wrong with you, go see a PT. But if like, eventually, if you get hurt enough, you have the of all that downside, you get the slight upside of like being able to deal with it a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. um, one thing you talked about in your book that I loved, especially the past few days, because I've been dealing with like a depressive slump as the weather shifts and it's been really gray, is Margie. And um, for those who don't know, Margie is this like part of yourself that comes out on runs. It's like a little hateful, not exactly helpful, right? How have you found to overcome that like voice that comes into your head? I think a big thing for me is always coming back to why I'm running. So usually I find that voice is showing up when we're starting to worry about pace or a certain workout or a certain distance. Some other people are running 20 miles this week. Should I be doing that? Oh, my easy pace today is so much slower. It's we're like really thinking about some part of the performance and not the why. And so when I go back to like, man, I get to run. I'm out here because like, I really enjoy like being outside. I'm really excited that like, I can just move my body. And so it's just helps me kind of put that in the background because not every run needs to be like a star performance. Um, Some runs are just because we can. And personally, I probably don't race a lot because of that. Um, So races are kind of a very special thing that I'll do a couple times a year, but the rest of the time I'm just running fully to enjoy it. I like that. I think it's really easy to get caught up in this everything, like especially with Strava and like the Instagram and the posts and everything. Like it's, it's easy to get caught up in what others are doing, but it's also just really simple to get caught up in what, you did last week right that was like better because it wasn't 95 degrees and (laughs) humid right like yeah Yeah. so I think I really appreciate that yeah I mean every every day every week every month and running is like slightly different because our life is slightly different the weather is different like 
And especially during like marathon training where you're building and there's so much accumulation of fatigue. And yet for some reason, we don't like take that into account. We're just like, I'm just awful this week. (laughs) It's not like, well, I've been training for 12 (laughs) weeks and like, I'm kind of tired. Like I, maybe I need a rest day. (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I'm just burnt out, honestly. And like, that's me, but that's honestly a lot of people. By the time you get to your peak week, you might be kind of burnt out. And that's one of the reasons we have a taper. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, so as we're wrapping up here, do you have like a piece of advice that you would give to every runner uh, after being this and writing thousands of articles, like, what do you think people really need to hear as a runner? Do the warm up. <laughs> um, <laughs> Love it. Love that. Um, <laughs> I think um, I, I really am afraid that's going to be on my tombstone at this point. Um, that and honestly, I think it is sort of a keep the joy. So like, remember, you don't have to do this and you're choosing to do it. You get to do it. Um, It's a really special thing. You're in 0.1% of the population that has like completed a marathon. So whether you're in that percent or you're feeling like, oh, I have to do it. Like it's a teeny tiny percent of actual people who have done it. So enjoy whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, I think that's really key to remember. And if you don't enjoy it anymore, maybe take a break, right? Yeah, like, there's we, nothing wrong with taking a break. If we talk about it, we do all this stuff. I've played so many sports. <laughs> like, I love running now, and I, I expect I will continue to love coaching runners and like doing this because I actually finally approaching a sport the right way for a change. But I sometimes you just need to take a gap <laughs> and come back to it with fresh eyes. Yeah, I think a lot of us maybe know intuitively we need breaks, but we're afraid to take them because we own that label of runner so much. Yeah. Um, but it's okay to go spend a season strength training or rock climbing or whatever. I mean, a lot of the best athletes are multi-sport because they do one thing all winter and then another thing all summer, like, and those things benefit each other. 100%. I mean, this is largely a like trail and ultra community. And the some of the best trail and ultra athletes in the world spend their entire winter schemo. They yep, do, they don't run. Right? <laughs> so like sometimes you just need a gap. Yep. Um, and then one, what is one thing you're like really proud of that has nothing to do with running? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it has to do with running because it's my business. But honestly, like sure. I am really just proud of um, building my own business. And that it has to do with both writing, which was something I always wanted to do, and then running, which was something I fell in love with. It's awesome. It's hard. It's really hard. I mean, like the early stages, and it's just, it's hard every day. So yeah, man, respect. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much. Where Anything else that we should like make sure we touch on in the realm of either running or like aging athletes or any of that? Um, I mean, I think the only thing we didn't talk about was strength training, but like you said, I know you've kind of talked about that. Um, And so it's just a, it's a non-negotiable when athletes come to us, I let them know up front, like there will be strength training. Um, So I think just, you know, making sure that's included, but otherwise I think we covered a bunch of good stuff. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I guess like let's touch that real, really quickly because I think that that term can scare people sometimes. <laughs> as much as like, I've probably had five out of fifty episodes on it by now. But how, like, how much do you tend to have your athletes do strength training? Like, what does that look like for your athletes? Kind of depends. I feel like now we have more people who are actually enjoying strength training. Um, and so I can get them like Same. three sessions a week. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, other times we're brand new to it and cool. Like if I can get two body weight sessions a week, let's start there. And we keep talking about heavy lifting. Heavy lifting is extremely important for women after menopause. Um, but heavy is relative but it sounds like Olympic lifting. <laughs> so it's scary, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So I think that's the big thing is like, just know where you are, be okay with starting where you are 20 minutes, two times a week. Like, awesome. I will take that all day long. Yeah. I mean, still one is better than none, right? Like one is better than nothing. <laughs> like do something. and i like the 20 minutes thing it doesn't it just doesn't need to be that long like if you're trying to be arnold that's i think we often think about these strength programs that are written for fat loss and muscle building and like bodybuilder type whereas it just doesn't need to be that long to be helpful yeah it's a different sort of thing and i mean when we are looking at heavier lifting for runners and, you know, maybe we are shifting some things there in menopause where you're maybe taking out a couple miles of running so that you can like do a heavier lift and that yeah. you have more time to recover. So maybe it takes a little longer, but it sure. can also be five moves like it, and they don't have to be crazy. Like I don't need you on a stability ball trying to like it's some of the stuff I see. I just think. You don't need that. Like our goal yeah. is like to stay injury free and build some muscle. We can do it much easier. <laughs> yeah, I'll put it out there now. Please don't lift things on a stability ball. That doesn't make any sense. Like there's there's so much evidence against that at this point. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that said, like I also don't tend to recommend like I don't program cleans that often for people, right? Like unless yeah. they have a background for it or they're trying to do a Spartan race or something like we don't need to get that complicated squat, hinge, push, pull, like do the simplistic stuff. Yep. Cool. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate it for like taking time out of your day. Uh, where can we find you? Yeah. So run to the finish is the website. There's a good couple thousand articles on there. Um, run to the finish is the book. Um, and like you said, I think on most social media platforms run to the finish is, is where you'll find me. Awesome. I think that's one of the perks of being in this for a while. You get to like (laughs) own your space. (laughs) When you start early, you get to own all the names. I love that. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, hang around for a sec, everybody. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back soon with another one. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition Group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.